Vespers from the 53rd chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. We stand. From the 26th chapter of St. Matthew and the 27th, these words. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, and it was early morning. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. And so Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, well, Then take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing 
him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer, and so Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. And now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Deliver me, O Lord, my God. 
Grace and peace be yours from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah wrote, and you heard it read earlier, He bore the sin of many. Dear friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, many times during this Lenten season now we've, we've sung what our text here describes as we've sung time and again and considered the words of that hymn, Lamb of God, pure and holy. We, we've sung what our text here describes all sins thou borest for us, else had despair reigned over us. Consider, it was the 21st of May in 1946, and the place was Los Alamos, New Mexico. A young and a daring scientist was carrying out a necessary experiment in preparation for the atomic test that was soon to be conducted in the, the waters of the South Pacific. Well, he'd successfully performed it many times before in an effort to determine how much or the amount of, of uranium-235 that was necessary for a chain reaction, what scientists often will call a critical mass. He would push two hemispheres of uranium together, and, and then just as the mass became critical, he'd push them apart with a screwdriver, thus instantly stopping the chain reaction. But on this particular day, just as the material became critical, that screwdriver fell out of his hand. And the hemispheres of uranium came too close together, and instantly the room was filled with a dazzling blue haze. Young Louis Slotten, instead of ducking and thereby possibly saving himself, reportedly, he tore the two hemispheres apart with his own hands, thus interrupting that chain reaction. In so doing, he'd saved the lives of the seven other persons there in the room. Though as he waited for the car that was to take him to the hospital, he said quietly to his companion that was there with him, he said, you'll come through this all right, but I haven't the faintest chance myself. And he was right. He knew what he was talking about. Nine days later, he died an agonizing death. As we consider what Christ has done for us, it's not too hard to see the analogy here. It may be, though, a much closer analogy than at first we'd think. We sing it in that hymn phrase that we are considering here tonight from the hymn, Lamb of God, pure and holy, all sins thou borest for us. We heard Isaiah speak of it several times tonight in the first reading, that Christ, he, he bore our sins. There's actually far more texture and depth and dimension to Isaiah's chosen Hebrew words than there are to, or there is to the, to the, the English word, a rather one-dimensional English word, bore or carried. One of the times, Isaiah uses the word nasah. And the word means to lift or to carry or to take something up and away. Pick, have the picture in your mind. Behold the Lamb of God who lifts away, who carries away, who takes away this, the sins of the world. That's nasah. It's almost as the word was designed to make the hearer of it feel lighter. Nasah. The other Hebrew word Isaiah uses here in the text is savalem, which is to mean, and which means to, to bear not just a load, but to bear a heavy load. What makes Christ's load so heavy, and where is he taking this load of mine away? The load so heavy 
because sins have their consequences. Now that's the physics of spiritual life. For every action or sinful inaction, even being a sinful human being has its guilt consequences. But to simplify, for every action there's a reaction by divine justice. Sin has its consequences, and I don't just mean the residual problems in life that are left after the things we do or don't do, those things that we in this life do surmount and are left to clean up. I'm talking about eternal consequences. Scripture says the soul that sins shall die eternally. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. And sometimes perhaps we forget that. As Lutherans, most of us are as Lutherans, even so. So at home we are in God's grace and his love, and we should be. Well, we should be in that embrace, but yet at times perhaps we tend to forget what our sins weigh. What eternity would be if if we did indeed remain in them, if we had remained in them. Isaiah helps us picture it. He fleshes out the consequences of iniquities. Earlier in his text, linking them with what's often translated, it was for us, the word griefs. Literally in Hebrew, it's sicknesses. Don't just think colds and coughs and flus. Think here the sort of consequential, consequential fallout in a, in a way like, like the fallout of that event at Los Alamos. The physical torment of that radiation Sickness that followed exposure to uranium. What about exposure to and life in sin? Eternally, Christ says, quotes the scripture, quotes the Old Testament. The worm of torment, he says, does not die. Eternal and ongoing sin sickness, if you will. These are griefs. And and Isaiah ties our sins earlier to what's translated as sorrows so often. Literally, pains. These would have no end. For Christ is clear there will be weeping, he says, and gnashing of teeth. And scripture says the smoke of their torment ascends forever and forever. Lasting far longer than those nine days. Horrid days of suffering. Lived and suffered by that scientist in Los Alamos. You see why Isaiah describes a heavy, heavy load That Christ did bear. We've got to remember this too. That this heavy load did belong to you. And me. Recall Isaiah's words again. Surely he has lifted. He has carried away our griefs. He says. And he's borne the heavy load of our sorrows. Ancient church father Ambrose of Milan. Put it well. He said, not your wounds, but mine hurt you, Lord Jesus. But listen again to Isaiah's words. And note where our griefs and our sorrows have been placed. Surely he has lifted, has carried away our griefs. And he has borne our heavy load of sorrows. Again, Scripture says, it's our text, you heard it read tonight, He bore the sin of many. Again, from the same reading, Isaiah, the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. 
Can't you really picture the events at Los Alamos as you hear that? The Lord has laid on him. He's absorbed it. The iniquity of us all. Down the road a ways from Los Alamos, New Mexico, south on I-25, a few hours, is a city of Las Cruces. In Spanish, Las Cruces means the crosses. Of those three wooden crosses on that hillside, the Jerusalem hillside, can't you picture in your mind what happened on that cross in the middle, the one on which Christ hung? Scripture pictures it for you. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He absorbed what eternity would have inflicted upon you. He chose rather to bear the blast, bear the blow, the full burden. He chose to do it and to carry the curse away with his own hands rather than see you have to bear any of it. And note it well what we sing. All sins thou borest for us. I ask you, consider it carefully. What remains that his body then didn't absorb? What particular one? Which particular one remains that his body didn't take in? What iniquity? Often in the scriptures, iniquity is tied with guilt. What iniquity of yours remains? None. Because what did we sing from the Psalms? He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquity. And he did. Christ did. I, I ask you, what sin, what particular wrong that you've done or you've left undone, what possibly remains? For with his bare hands, he, as Scripture says, has removed, he's torn apart from you your sin as far as the east is from the west so far as he removed your sins from you. Therefore, Scripture says, there is now no condemnation, not even residual, no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Why, friends? Why would we doubt what God has declared? Isn't he the expert? It's like, I suppose it's like those seven who were protected from that uranium, 235. The scientist who knew well what he'd done when from what he'd protected them, he told them, didn't he? They'd be all right because he'd borne the entire brunt of it. Now, even though he was the scientist, he was the expert, he knew what he was doing, what he'd done for them. I suppose they could have spent each day of the rest of their lives doubting his expertise, his knowledge of the matter, his verdict on the thing, scanning themselves day after day after day, even though he was certain, though they not being convinced themselves of what he'd done for them. I suppose they could have lived life in daily doubt, not in gratitude that he bore it for them in his body, that which would have killed them, and in his body he took it away from them. Friends, don't spend life looking for sins that might have somehow, in the imagination of your mind, somehow might have escaped Christ's self-sacrificing embrace. Here again, the verdict of the expert on the matter. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's a word given precisely so that you, the hearer, can feel lighter. 
For a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he has said he will not snuff out. All sins thou borest for us, else had despair reigned o'er us. And it certainly would have, certainly would have. It, it should make us despair, knowing the bleakness of our eternity apart from Christ. That should make us to despair. Despair reigns where there's not a glimmer of hope. But even the slightest reason for hope keeps hope aflame, doesn't it? In the prisoner of war who waits in the camp and watches, waiting, waiting and watching for the dawn of the day of his deliverance, even the slightest reason for hope keeps the flame of, of hope kindled in the, the hospital-bound boy or girl, man or woman who's undergone so much treatment and so much rehab and will undergo so much more to, but, and, and will put up with so much more as long as he knows there's hope. Friends, there's hope. Listen to the words that you sang in the psalm earlier tonight and remember this. You sang them because you believe them. The psalmist said, Out of the depths have I cried to you, O Lord. That sounds like a bleak place. Out of the depths. And why not, right? Because he said, If thou shouldst mark iniquities, are iniquities who could stand? True. But, he says, There is forgiveness with thee, and so he goes on to say, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait. And in his word, you sang, do I hope. My soul, we sang, waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. You picture it in your minds. Watchers in the night, looking, scanning the horizon, scrutinizing it. Looking for that, that shaft of breaking light over the horizon. More than they that watch for the morning. And so he concludes, let Israel, let the church, you, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And he's done it. He's done it. All sins he's borne for us. So friends, why would we now let despair reign over us? And so our prayer tonight is help us, Lord. Help us then, Lord Jesus, to live in the confidence that you have borne all of our sins and carried eternally away all of our sorrows. Knowing how far he's loved us and, and what he was willing to absorb in his body for us, then our prayer tonight is help us, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, in love to bear all things when it comes to others. Knowing, or rather bearing all things that we might forgive as often as we've been forgiven. Knowing only a trace of the heavy, heavy load of mine he's borne for me. Help us, is our prayer, Lord Jesus, when it comes to life's earthly loads. Help us gladly to bear one another's burdens. That through me you might, Lord, lighten the load of another who is under the heavy weight of the sin consequences in the worldly, the earthly life. I began tonight with an image of Los Alamos. I leave you with one too. It's from the classic story written in the 17th century by author John Bunyan. And it's called Pilgrim's Progress. Like C.S. Lewis, I've mentioned before, like C.S. Lewis after him, John Bunyan wrote this tale as Christian allegory to symbolize 
as he saw it, Christian truth and faith and life. As he saw it, he wasn't a Lutheran, but as he saw it, it was written to symbolize Christian truth and faith and life. The main character in the story, his name is Christian. And he's journeying from the place of his birth, so named the city of destruction, and is traveling toward the celestial city, the heavenly city, which happens to stand atop a very high mountain named Zion. And on his way, Christian is accompanied at times by his friends named Faithful and Hopeful. And with his friends, he encounters characters such as worldly wisdom. He encounters a giant named Despair who captures Christian and his friend named Hopeful and and holds them for a time in his home, his home called Doubting Castle, in which he torments them, tries to drive them to the point of suicidal despair, yet from from which Christian and Hopeful are eventually freed by a, a particular key named Promise that Christian finds he's had in his possession all along. But at one point here in the journey, Christian with a large and heavy bundle on his shoulders, is brought to a place somewhat elevated from the surrounding terrain. And on this hill, there's a cross. And below the hill is a grave. And as he comes to the foot of the cross, the load suddenly is released from his shoulders. And it drops to the ground and it rolls down the hill and disappears into the empty tomb. Thanks due to Christ, that he himself has borne our burden on the cross and buried it in the tomb and has carried it away. So friend, Christian, go home tonight knowing the load has been lifted away. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.
present merciful God and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and the chances of life may find our rest in you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Eternal God, the hours both of day and night are yours, and to you the darkness is no threat. Be present, we pray, with those who labor in the hours of the night, especially those who watch and work on behalf of others. Grant them diligence in their watching, faithfulness in their service, courage in danger, competence in emergencies. Help them to meet the needs of others with confidence and compassion through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Abide with us, Lord, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us at the end of the day, at the end of our life, at the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with us when the day of affliction and temptation comes upon us and the night of death draws near. Abide with us and with all the faithful now and forever. Guide us, O Lord, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, you offered up the Lamb of God who bore our sins for us, else had despair reigned o'er us. We ask that you keep our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. May we ever recognize in his suffering and death our refuge from all guilt, the forgiveness of all sin, and the promise of life everlasting. Amen. The Almighty and most merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless you and keep you.